0: The year was 1978, and the British Army was called upon to fill in for the firefighters who at that time were on strike in England. And on the afternoon of January 14th, these replacement firefighters received a call to rescue a cat caught high up in a tree. Well, the soldiers, they rushed to the scene, put up the ladder, brought down the cat and gladly handed it back to the owner. Well, this lady was so impressed with their skills, so grateful for what they'd done, that she invited them in for tea. And after a wonderful time together, they said their farewells. The men hopped back in the truck, started to back away, and accidentally ran over the cat. I know, you're thinking, great illustration, Pastor. I mean, so uplifting. You sure know how to encourage people. Hey, there is a lesson in this, and it goes like this. Sometimes when you're right in the middle of patting yourself on the back for your successes, failure has a way of sneaking up on you, biting you on the heel. We discussed this last week that we are vulnerable after victory. And so the question we want to examine this morning is this. When failure strikes, how do you respond? I think most of us try to gloss over it. We'd rather not face it. We talk about rescuing the cat, not about killing the cat, right? John F. Kennedy once said, success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. Like no one wants to claim failure. But you know what? If you don't face up to your failure, you may miss out on the way that God wants to use that failure as a teaching ground in your life. And here's our surprising key point for the day. There are blessings behind failure, sometimes incredible blessings behind failure. And let's just review a few honest facts of life here. First of all, you've already failed many, many times in your past. Second, right now you're failing in some areas of your life. And finally, you're going to fail many, many times in the future. Like, how's that for encouragement? It's just the truth, folks. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says this, There is no one on earth who does what is right all the time and never makes a mistake. Like, nobody's perfect. I mean, the closest you're ever going to get to perfection is in a job interview. Like, when you're describing yourself or handing them your resume. Like, that's about the best you're ever going to be. I mean, even the superstars fail. You know, in NBA basketball, players miss on average 50% of their shots. In professional baseball, a good batting average is 300. That means seven out of ten times when the player comes up to bat, they're going to walk back to the dugout. I mean, these athletes who get paid multi-million dollar contracts fail a majority of the time. Everyone fails. And you have a choice to make when it comes to the failures you experience in life. Like, are you going to face up to them or are you going to try to deny and ignore them? Well, that's the face of the choice, rather, facing Joshua as we look at Joshua chapter 8 today. If you're just joining us, we're in this series called Battles Before Blessings. We're walking through the book of Joshua. Let me just give you a quick review here. In Joshua chapter six, Joshua and the nation of Israel experienced the thrill of victory. Like the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. They took over the city. It was awesome. But then in Joshua chapter seven, they tasted the agony of defeat because there was sin in the camp. A man by the name of Achan had stolen some treasure from Jericho that was supposed to be given to the Lord. And as a result, God couldn't bless the army and they were defeated at the battle of Ai. But now in chapter eight, God calls Joshua to return to that place of failure. And you need to realize it wasn't just Achan's failure. It was also Joshua's failure. Why? Because he didn't consult the Lord before he charged into the battle of I. He consulted his advisors and they said, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake, Joshua. No problem. And so they charged right in to a big mistake. But if Joshua's going to find the blessing behind the failure he's going to have to face the failure. And that's the first principle we can draw from this text. You got to face up to failure. Face up to failure. Take a look at Joshua chapter eight and verse one. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I, for I have delivered into your hands the king of I, his people, his city, and his land. So Joshua failed in chapter seven. And now something has settled into his mind. It's the same thing that hides behind failure in our minds, fear. So God has to tell Joshua, do not be afraid. I mean, this failure and I obviously affected him. It was a costly mistake. I mean, 36 of his men died in battle. But God calls Joshua to face up to his fear of failure, go back to where he failed and try again. And make no mistake about it, fear is what keeps us from facing up to our failures in life. Did you know there used to be a phobic society of America? It was for people who suffer from all different kinds of fears. They had 3,500 members, but at their annual conventions, only like 200 would show up because most of them were afraid to go. (laughs) Flying, large crowds, you name it. Apparently over time, they just disbanded but it's interesting to me that different people have different fears. Isn't that true? I mean, I know people who fought in military combat, intense fighting, but they're scared to death to go visit a dentist. You know, others will climb mountains and cliffs, but if you were to ask them to speak in front of 10 people, it would terrify them. You know, some men make multi-million dollar business decisions on a regular basis, but when things go creak in the night, they send their wife. Right, no nudging, Okay. I mean, we all have different kinds of fears. But in a recent survey, guess what came up as the second greatest fear? The fear of failure. Fear of failure. Nobody wants to fail. The fear of failure is a pretty universal fear, and it can cause enormous stress in our lives. You know, the fear of failure can cause you to become indecisive, like you're afraid to make a decision because you might make the wrong one. The fear of failure can cause you to become a workaholic or a perfectionist. And so the question we have to ask is this, how can we reduce or even eliminate this fear of failure? Let me give you two quick steps here. First of all, I would encourage you to replace fear with faith. I mean, we need to look to God, not ourselves. God just told Joshua, do not be afraid. And over in the New Testament, Jesus repeatedly told his followers not to fear, but to trust in him. And look at the promise God made to Joshua in verse 2. He said, you shall do to I and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. God says, Josh, I want to replace your fear in life with faith, faith in my promises. And God says something similar to us over in the New Testament. This is Romans 8, 28. God says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him in all things. So have faith that when God says He's sovereignly working in all things, He means all things, the good, the bad, the successes, and the failures. Faith in God's promises helps us to overcome our fear of failure because we can trust our key concept today, that there is blessing even behind failure. And if that's true, then perhaps we need to rethink our whole definition of failure in the first place. I mean, maybe we need to redefine failure. I would submit to you that failure is not failing to reach your dreams. Failure is when you don't have a dream. Failure is not setting a goal and missing it. Failure is when you don't have a goal. Failure is not falling down. Everybody falls down. Failure is refusing to get back up. Let me redefine failure for you. Failure is refusing to try again. Failure is when you refuse to try again. You're saying, you know, I blew it. I tried out for the baseball team. I didn't hit the ball on my first swing, so I give up. I mean, think about it. How'd you learn to ride a bicycle? You got on it and then you fell off, right? And then you got back up on it again and you fell off again. Then you got on it and maybe stayed on for five seconds and then crashed. You got on it again, maybe 10 seconds and then fell over. And eventually. Eventually, you got it down. See, you're going to fail. The Bible tells us we all stumble in many ways. But if you give up every time you try something and initially you don't succeed, you're never going to accomplish anything worthwhile in life. You're not a failure until you give up. So, first, God calls Joshua to face up to his failure, not be afraid of it. And then the next step is to learn from failure. We got to learn from failure. Joshua learned from his failure by remembering the past. He remembered how he didn't consult the Lord before his last attack. And so his battle strategy is a bit different this time around. Let's pick up the story in verse three here and pay attention to how God is at the center of this battle. It says, so Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack I. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders listen carefully you are to set an ambush behind the city and by the way ambushing the city that wasn't Joshua's idea okay it was the lord's idea in the first place you are to set an ambush behind the city don't go very far from it all of you be on the alert i and all those with me will advance on the city and when the men come out against us as they did before we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say, they're running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire, do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. Okay, God set the battle plan And Joshua's making extra sure that his troops don't turn to the right or to the left from this original plan. Joshua learned from his previous mistake. All right, let's read on. Then Joshua sent them off and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his men and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. They had the soldiers take up their positions, all those in the camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. And that night, Joshua went into the valley. When the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them and they fled toward the desert. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city." Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, okay, that's a key phrase here. Notice who's leading this battle this time around. It's the Lord, not Joshua. Then the Lord said to Joshua, hold out toward Ai, the javelin that is in your hand. For into your hand, I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out his javelin toward Ai. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. Now, the next 10 verses simply describe how they finish off the soldiers of Ai and take the plunder God promised them. But I wanted you to see here that Joshua learned from his past mistake. Like He followed God's battle plan. He allowed God to be the leader, God to direct the particulars of this battle. And in the text here, there's something symbolic of the fact that the Lord's in control of this fight, but you wouldn't pick up on it unless you understand ancient warfare and Hebrew symbolism. It's actually found in verse 18, where the Lord says to Joshua, hold out toward I the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. Now, this word for javelin here, kidon in the Hebrew, it's a very rare Hebrew word. Doesn't occur again in the book of Joshua. It only occurs a few times in the entire Bible. And while there were several terms used for swords and javelins, ancient historians who study weaponry and warfare tell us that during this period of time in history, this javelin was more like a sickle sword than a straight spear. And over time, it had developed cultural significance as a symbol of sovereignty, power, and authority. So when a nation wanted to try and intimidate you or symbolize their sovereign power over you, they would hold up this sword. And it's interesting here that at just the right moment, when the men of Ai were pursuing the fleeing Israelites and thinking they had them beat, God tells Joshua to strike a pose holding out this sickle sword to represent the very sovereign and powerful presence of God in the midst of Israel. And God tells Joshua to stay put in this position throughout the entire battle. Verse 26, For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed I and all who lived in I. So Joshua's job was to point the javelin. God's job was to ensure the victory. And this symbol reminded the Israelite army of God's sovereignty, God's power, gave them the courage to turn and attack their pursuers, and also showed the enemy who was really in control. The soldiers of Ai looked back over their shoulder to see their city go up in smoke. See, Joshua learned from his failure, and he approached the battle of Ai much differently the second time around. And that's the lesson for us here in this text. We need to learn from our failures, make course corrections the next time around. Admit your failures and try not to repeat them. Okay, there's one final point in this passage. I just alluded to it. You face up to failure, you learn from failure, and then third and finally, you've got to guard against failure. Guard against failure. You know, if we don't put up our guard in areas where we've stumbled in the past, then we haven't really learned from the past. And I think it's significant here that the Israelites pause to reflect on the law of the Lord. I mean, the whole reason the law of the Lord was given was to protect God's people from moral and ethical failure. Verse 30 here says, Then Joshua built on Mount Ebel an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it, they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses, which he had written. All Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials, and judges were standing on both sides of the ark of the covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it, the priests who were Levites. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. See, we guard against failure by focusing on the truth. And that's because sin usually begins with a lie that we believe. And the way to guard against lies is to absorb ourselves in the truth. I think David said it well over in Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11. He said, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so Joshua, what he does is he picks up the Bible of that day and he begins to read all the blessings and all the curses of the law to the people. And this was probably a really long ceremony, several hours in length. But they took the time to do this because it was a safeguard for the Israelites. I mean, Joshua even copied the law onto stones for the people as a reminder of the truth. I thought that was kind of cool. So I tried to talk our communications department into copying the Bible onto stones for you guys this morning. But the conversation was kind of rocky. Now, I guess I'll have to be bolder next time. Anyway, you get the point, right? Focusing on the truth of God's Word is the best way to guard us from failure. So, Joshua and the Israelites, what did they do? They faced up to their failure, they learned from their failure, and they guarded themselves against future failure. And then they discovered the blessings behind their failure. You know, what were those blessings? (laughs) Victory over the enemy, Favor in God's eyes, a new land flowing with milk and honey, and one final blessing to top it all off. Look at verse twenty-seven. It says, but Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of this city, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. You see, this time, unlike in Jericho, God allowed them to keep the spoils, and I bet I know what Joshua must have immediately thought. Oh, Achan, if you had just waited, instead of taking the plunder from Jericho that God said not to take, instead of stealing God's treasures, if you had just waited, you could have had the spoils here at I. And I would submit to you that anytime God withholds a blessing for a season, there's a greater blessing in store for you down the road. Let me say that again. Anytime God withholds a blessing from you for a season, there's a greater blessing in store for you down the road. God wants you to wait for the greater reward. And sometimes that reward shows up here on earth. Sometimes it's in heaven. But God's desire is to bless you in the long run. I mean, He is too good not to look after your best interests. You just got to trust Him in that. You got to believe that He knows what's best for you. You know, teenagers, please believe that God wants what's best for you when he tells you to wait until you're married to have sex? I mean, just go logic with me on this one. I mean, who invented sex? God invented sex. It wasn't some guy named Bob in the Middle Ages who just thought it up, okay? So give God some credit for for knowing how the whole male-female thing works best. Will you trust him in that? Adults, when the Lord tells you to give sacrificially of your finances so that you'll have greater rewards in heaven, you need to believe that it really will be worth it. Just trust Him on that one. You know, a cruise, a new car, another vacation, those things are fine, but they'll be short-lived compared to the rewards in heaven. Now, will you believe Him when He tells you that the fun you get out of that earthly treasure can't compare to the heavenly rewards that could be waiting for you? And the rewards aren't all in heaven. I mean, when you give to Jesus's work here on earth, you'll experience the joy of knowing that your finances are being used by God to change people's lives for an eternity. You know, when God withholds a blessing for a season, there's always a greater blessing in store for you in the future. You can bet on that. And the lesson you can't afford to forget this morning is that there are blessings behind your failures in life. I know you don't see him yet, but you will. One day, if you persevere, you will reap those blessings that God has for you. So don't let the fear of failure keep you from moving forward in life. You know, it's been said that the fear of failure is kind of like scarecrows out in a field. When a wise bird flies over a scarecrow, he knows that the scarecrow is simply an invitation for blessing. A scarecrow is really just an invitation for blessing. Think about that. What in your life are you scared to confront? If you'll go and deal with it, you'll face up to it. You may discover incredible blessings there. Like What failures do you need to face this morning? Maybe there's been some financial failure in your background. Maybe it's been a relational failure in your family, in your marriage. Maybe there's been moral failure. Whatever scenario you're facing, you have a choice to make. Am I going to live my life trying to ignore it? Or am I going to face up to it and deal with it so I can enjoy the blessings God has in store for me? Sometimes because of their failures, people think that God can't or won't ever use them in a significant way in the future. Don't buy that lie. (laughs) That's a lie from the enemy. That's the lie of the scarecrow. Don't live your life looking over your shoulder at past failures. Look at the possibilities in the future. Now, here's a good word for you. Jesus loves a failure. Let that sink in. Jesus loves a failure. You know why? Because we're all failures. You now, the way we say it around here is this. We're all imperfect people learning to do life with a perfect God. So take a lesson from Joshua here. Face your failure, learn from your failure, and guard against future failure. And then start to enjoy the unexpected blessings God has for you. You know, because we serve a God who is able to work all things together for good, like successes and failures, the amazing truth is this. Failure is really a backdoor to blessing. Failure is a backdoor to blessing. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you this morning that you're the God of second chances. You're the God of third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, as many chances as we may have in life. As long as we have the breath of life, there's an opportunity to turn around, to face the failure, to learn from the failure, and to guard against future failure, and to enjoy the blessings you may have for us. So God, remind us that we're not failures until we quit, until we refuse to get back up again. So no matter what we're facing, I pray that we would trust you, that you can work all things together for good, and that there can be incredible blessings waiting for us if we'll move past our failures. So God, help us today, this week, and for the rest of our lives to take this truth from the book of Joshua and apply it to our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.